Hello, Maranatha. I'm grateful that you've joined us here on the website. We are continuing in our sermon series in the Gospel of John. Today we're going to be in John chapter 7, verses 25 through 36. So if you want to turn there while uh, I'm just sharing a little bit of information with you, uh, I want you to know that if you're really joining us for the first time, even virtually, uh, you can email us at contact at maranathaohio.com to let us know who you are, to let us know how we can pray for you. If there's ways that we might be able to serve you, we would love to hear that as well. Um, Also, as the church continues to go on in this uh, environment or climate or circumstance that we find ourselves in, it's important for us to connect. It's important for us to reach out to one another, make phone calls, uh, try to talk virtually through the different technologies that are out there. Thankful that there's uh, plenty of ways to do that, but I really want to encourage us to to do the work of connecting with one another. Connect with coworkers, even though you might not have to, uh, to see them in person every day, but try to connect with them outside of your work environment as a way to really proclaim the gospel and, and proclaim the hope that we have in Christ that we do possess because of, uh, of who Jesus is. Again, we're going to be in uh, John chapter 7. Uh, one last thing, we are going to have, or we have in the past scheduled a foundations class that was supposed to be on April 5th. We probably won't be able to meet in person for that, but if there are people who have been attending Maranatha and you want to go to that, that's really where we cast the vision and uh, explain the mission of what we're doing here at Maranatha. If you want to go to that, we have the opportunity to do that virtually. So if there is interest, please let me know. You can reach out to me personally or email that address, contact maranathaohio.com and let us know and maybe we can uh, make that happen. But again, John chapter 7, verses 25 through 36. So if you want to open your Bibles and read along with me as I read it for us out of reverence for God's word. Some of the people of Jerusalem, therefore, said, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have come on my, I have not come on my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, he will do, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. You seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us as we begin here. Father, this is a unique setting for us as a church. This is a unique uh, dynamic as we are watching a video on a screen, as we are attempting to congregate as your body virtually. Lord, I pray that in this time, Lord, you, you still use this as a way to drive about worship in our hearts. That as we hear the word preached, even though it's on a TV screen, Lord, that you help us to uh, 
to find the reverence, to find the amount of joy and worship that comes with hearing your word preached. Or be with me as this is a unique setting for myself, that it is, it is difficult and hard to um, express with passion the same things that are written down here, Lord, but we are grateful for your word that we can continue to go to daily to hear from you. But with your spirit, empower this time, empower me, give me the talent and the ability to preach your word with passion and with zeal, with excitement, with hope, and give all of us who are listening ears to hear and a heart to receive this truth as we are attempting to, to, to walk this life out faithfully where we find ourselves. Lord, we love you and thank you for your gift. Thank you for your son. It's in his name by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, last week we began chapter 7, and there we followed the series of events that now has Jesus teaching and speaking to the Jewish people in the temple. And in our passage today, we see how those Jewish people are going to respond to Jesus' teaching. We find ourselves, if you remember, in the middle of the Feast of Booths. This is a special festival or celebration over God's provisions and graciousness to the people of Israel while they roamed in the wilderness as they were rescued from slavery of Egypt as they went on their way to the promised land. And God continually and faithfully gave them bread that rained down from heaven. If you remember the story from Exodus, it rained down from heaven and they called it manna. As well, another thing that's celebrated during this time of festival is how God quenched their physical thirst by pouring forth water from a rock, again, proving to them that he is the one that is the one who provides and sustains their life. Now, just like I've said, and hopefully you remember from last week, once Jesus eventually entered into Jerusalem during this festival, he went immediately to the temple and began to preach God's word. And it seems obvious, it sort of seems obvious to us at this point, especially if you've been following this historical narrative that the Apostle John is providing us with, that when Jesus teaches in the temple, the Jewish spiritual leaders respond with hostility. At this point, it seems sort of obvious that they would do this. They're already sort of in this fever about who Jesus is and what he is doing. We're told that their anger has risen to the point that they want him to die. And we see that they're even going to the point of making plans to figure out how they can kill him. Now, this sort of makes sense. It really does sort of make sense if you think about the entire picture. We know that Jesus always operates within the perfect will of the Father. This is why he went to the Jewish people first to reveal himself as the promised Messiah. But because John is writing this account uh, years later, we're able to see that even though Jesus did come to his own, his own people did not receive him. And this is just a quote of John 1.11. Last week, the final thing that Jesus said to these same Jewish people in verse 25 was this. He said, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. What he was saying is that we shouldn't simply rely on our own human intellect. We don't judge, uh, he says, don't judge what I'm teaching you by your own limited perspective. Instead, make your judgment with the tool that has already been given to you for this exact 
purpose, judge with right judgment that comes from God's divine and eternal wisdom that is found in his already revealed word. Make right judgment based on God's truth. If you yield yourself to God, his word will prove to you that Jesus is the Christ. It will show you that you cannot keep the law because that standard is perfection and therefore you need a Messiah. You need to be saved. If you honestly just read the Bible, what you'll learn is that if you stand on your own merit, the wrath of God will pour out on you. If you sit there and you simply try to to live as a good person, if you go before God and you try to stand amongst your own merit, the wrath of God will pour out on you. But Jesus says, if you yield to his word, you will realize that I am he and I will forgive you. These words are what got Jesus in trouble. These are the exact words that got Jesus in trouble. That is why, in verse 25, some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is this not the man whom they seek to kill? Jesus is making the proclamation that I am God. I have the ability to forgive your sin. And they're saying, is this not the man whom they seek to kill? You see, some of the crowd didn't know the secret plans of the Jewish leaders to kill Jesus, but some did. Because the rumor mill is always running, right? Some had heard the potential stories of what these Jewish leaders planned to do to Jesus. Therefore, their question is really more rhetorical. They knew that this was the Jesus that their, leader, that their, their uh, spiritual leaders wanted dead, but Jesus was teaching so boldly as it was true. He was teaching with such boldness because he was making the proclamations of truth. And that's why they go on. That's why they question what's happening. This goes on in 25 and 26. Is this not the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. You see, Jesus' fearlessness directly contrasts the Jewish leader's speechlessness in this moment. That is why the crowd is in confusion. That's why the crowd is questioning and muttering to themselves, muttering to one another, why are they not opposing him? Is this not the guy? Do you think that they really think that he's the Messiah? Do you think that that's possible? The unresponsiveness, again, of these Jewish leaders caused the listening people to begin to speculate whether or not Jesus really was actually the Christ. They weren't opposing him, at least not openly. So it was stirring their hearts. Could this really be the moment that the Messiah has come from us? Then they question, they say, wait a minute, we know this guy. Again, is this not Joseph and Mary's boy? Is this not the the, the man from Nazareth? Now these questions, these, these statements, they make more sense if you know what's going on. If you know that at that time there was this misunderstanding about how the Messiah would actually show up. There was this misinformation or some would say a popular legend that the Messiah would just 
come. He would just suddenly show up, and just as we read, that no one would actually know where he comes from. He would just all of a sudden just be in their presence at the temple. And apparently this misunderstanding comes from Malachi 3.1. It says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, according to multiple commentaries, the tradition at that time taught that the Messiah will be unknown, again, until he arrives on the scene to restore Israel. And they, they pull it out of that passage. But again, because we have the whole story, we can sort of zoom out in that way. We can see that this messenger that the prophet uh, Malachi is talking about is John the Baptist, and we know that the coming Lord is Jesus. They're both the fulfillment of that prophetic word. But what's interesting is that these people they did know some things about Jesus, right? They, they knew who he was. They, they understood some of, his, uh, some of his background, but they thought, they were incorrectly informed, they thought that he was just a man from Nazareth. What they didn't know was that he was in fact born in Bethlehem, which of course fulfilled another Old Testament prophecy, which told of the arrival of the Messiah. That's in Micah 5. Verse 28, so Jesus proclaimed. He's, he's sort of not addressing their misunderstanding, but he continues to proclaim the truth. Verse 28, so Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come on my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. Now, where it says that Jesus proclaimed, in some translations, it says that Jesus cried out. You see, the Greek text is trying to show us that Jesus spoke up loudly for everyone to hear. He was attempting to declare a truth that he had already told them. He is saying, I've already told you this. You know me. You know where I have come from. I'm not here to do my will but the will of the one who sent me because his will and word is right and true. And because you question that, it must be known that you do not believe in him, that you do not know him. Now this was, this was a heavy rebuke. This was a direct rebuke to all of those people. Imagine how that would have ignited the crowd. Imagine the eruption of noise that would have happened. And what we see is exactly what we can imagine would have happened. Some seemingly pressed deeper into their anger, frustrated at the gall of this man saying, how do you dare tell me how I feel? How dare you tell me what I think? While others... While others ask further questions, they, they've been sort of cut to their souls trying to understand what Jesus is saying because Jesus is speaking truth. Verse 30, so they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because the hour or his hour had not yet come. We need to believe that God's providential plan is revealed in its perfect timing. Verse 31, yet many of the people believed in him. 
They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees and the officers, or they sent the officers to arrest him. Here we see the reality of what the gospel, the truth of the gospel actually accomplishes. When we are faced with truth, we cannot remain indifferent. When we are faced with truth, we cannot remain indifferent. Verse 31 tells us that many of the people there believed in him. See, they already knew or maybe they'd learned about these miraculous signs that he has done, so they had asked, if he's not the Christ... Would that Christ do more signs or miracles than this man has already done? Again, that rhetorical nature of the question says no. He wouldn't need to. He's already done amazing miracles to authenticate his divine nature. We don't need anything else. As well, we see the negative response of the people. When the Jewish religious leaders heard the crowd beginning to believe, beginning to have their hearts swayed towards Jesus, the chief priests and the Pharisees send officers to arrest Jesus. Again, some background helps us to understand what's actually happening here. The so-called spiritual leaders of the Jewish people were so distressed by the following and the influence that Jesus was gaining that the two historical arch-rivals, the Sadducees, here called the chief priests, and the Pharisees join forces to end Jesus. Together they agree that Jesus is such a nuisance that we have to stop him. And the response comes in the form of a formal commissioning for the temple officers to arrest Jesus so they could put him on trial with the purpose and the aim to execute him. They knew what they were doing. Knowing this, then, knowing this, verse 33, Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer, and then I'm going to go to him who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. This was a response to the unbelief, the ultimate unbelief of those people. Verse 34 is not a contradiction of Matthew 7, 7, where Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. Jesus is saying, you cannot come here. You cannot come to the place that I am. He is responding to their unbelief. He is not contradicting his words in 7-7 where we can ask and we can seek and we can knock and he will open it for us. Matthew 7, Jesus is talking about this desire to know God which only the Holy Spirit can give us. And in verse 34 in our passage, Jesus is speaking to them physically. He's speaking geographically. He's saying that in a short time it would be foolish for you to try and look for me because I'm going to be in heaven with my Father, the one who sent me and whose will I must accomplish. I will be in heaven with my Father, the one who sent me and where I must return. 
Again, as I've said this before, we cannot underestimate the importance of Jesus Christ's ascension. It is, an, it is invaluable for us to recognize what is actually going on and what is being communicated by Christ returning to heaven. John 3.13 told us, only the one who descended from heaven is able to ascend back into heaven. Only the one who is capable of descending is able to ascend. Jesus went back to heaven alive he went back there to rule and reign over the church and over all of creation as well. He is also our personal mediator before the Father. He lives and remains as the propitiator for God's wrath over our sin. That is such glorious news for all of us. He didn't just assuage our guilt on the cross and remove it for a time period. No, this is a continual and eternal promise of Christ. This matters so much, us understanding the, and recognizing what the ascension means. And I ask, how do you respond to that truth? How will you respond to this truth? Well, here's how they respond, verse 35. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come? What Jesus was talking about simply went over their heads because in their limited human perspective, they cannot understand the, 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 the uh, mysteries of God. In their limited human perspective, we cannot understand the mysteries of God. Now, the dispersion which they brought up was a term that they used for the lands where the former believers in Judaism went to follow after other gods, and the Jewish people at that time thought it was degrading to mingle with such people, so they wouldn't even travel there, and if at all possible, they would even go out of their way around those lands so they wouldn't have to pass through such places. But you see, their confusion and their mocking questions show us that they were simply facing the same problem that our world faces today. If you don't know who Jesus is or where he came from, then you cannot understand where he is or what he is doing. There's no way. If you don't know Jesus, there's no way for you to understand the promise of the gospel. Now, you might know some truth, you might understand some elements of this world. You might even be able to read the Bible, read the scriptures, and understand what it's physically saying. But you, even though you might know some truth, you cannot know the truth. Even though Jesus was talking to them about a physical thing, Jesus is teaching them about a spiritual reality that depends on faith. Jesus is teaching that we can both know truth and continue to depend on the one with the truth. Jesus said, you know me, and you know where I come from. I have the truth because I come from the Father. So there is no way for us to understand the truth without knowing Jesus Christ. We must know Jesus 
He is the only one who has been brought down from heaven. He is the only one who knows the Father, who has given him all things, which allows him to possess ultimate truth. Truth is singular by definition. The logical understanding of truth means that it is singular. We cannot have relative truth where you decide what you want to believe, and it doesn't matter what this guy believes because he can believe whatever he wants to believe. Logically, that idea falls flat. Jesus is saying, I'm the only one who has come from the Father. I am the only one that knows the Father. I am the only one who possesses ultimate truth. Matthew tells us this as he quotes Jesus in 11, Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Therefore, what that teaches us is that without the personification of Jesus Christ in this world, no one would be able to understand the truth. No one. Jesus didn't go to the temple or remain teaching in the temple as we see to make the people so angry that they wanted to kill him. He went there to preach the God's word of truth. And it was simply the truth of what he was saying that challenged their self-governing individualistic identities. So I ask, what offends you about God's word of truth? When you read the scriptures, what offends you? Whatever it is, it will prove where you are lacking in faith. Whatever it is, it will show you where you are struggling in your faith. Listen, if you have some sort of broad idea of who God is, you will not offend anyone. If you have sort of this non-solidified idea of this, this God that may be out there and I can live this way, possibly he might be in control of overall things, he might be giving me my own free will to make decisions. If you have some broad idea of who God is, you won't offend anyone in this world. But the minute that that God presses against their own self-sovereignty, because he came to us in the flesh to reveal to us ultimate truth, proving that he is the creator of all things, which informs us that he has authority over all things, that is when you'll learn what they actually put their hope in. That is when we learn what we actually put our hope in when it presses on us because we are not self-governing. We are not self-sovereign. We have been bought with a price. and We belong to Jesus Christ. Jesus went to the temple to preach God's truthful word so we can have hope in him no matter what we are facing here on earth. And you might ask then, what is that truth? What is that truth? Well, just continuing on in Matthew eleven twenty seven, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And here's the call. Here's the call from a God who loves Come to me. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. For the past couple weeks and for an unknown amount of time, we are facing the reality that we all thought would probably only exist in a fictional story. But a virus has spread over all the earth. It even sounds funny to say it that way. A virus has spread over all the earth. Now, I don't believe that we need to respond to this reality with fear, but I do imagine that there are many people out there in the world who thought they believed or they knew the Lord, and now they are questioning whether or not He is real. So I must say, we must say with the same boldness, with the same cry that our Lord Jesus Christ spoke with. There is a virus that has covered the entire earth and it is sin and it will only provide us with death. There is no rescue outside of Christ. We need a Savior. We need Jesus. And hear me, there is still time to respond in faith. So Jesus is teaching us. There is still time to respond in faith. Jesus is telling us that, yes, time is limited. There is a limited amount of time for everyone. Isaiah 55, 6, he says, this is the hope. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Jesus himself even promises in John 6, 35 and 37. We just covered this a couple weeks ago. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. All that the Father gives will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. He will never cast you out, no matter what you have done or how many times you have done it. Come to him. As we're going to learn next week, Jesus is declaring that he is the one who is willing to pour out his spirit, just like what happened for the people of Israel out there in the wilderness. He is the one who is able to quench the thirst of the people. He is able to quench the thirst of the believer. He is the one who provides and sustains eternal life. That is what he's making the proclamation for, so we can have faith. It is the reason why John is writing this gospel, so that we may believe. Hear me, God's truth is not dependent on our responsiveness. God's timetable is not in our hands. The word of truth is provided and preached to us, and the truth is revealed in Jesus Christ. So how will you respond? How will you respond? I ask you that question, how you will respond. How will you respond as you face today? Because you're going to have to ask that same question tomorrow. And the next day. And Lord willing, prayerfully, the next day. How will you respond? Jesus' simple words are this, to, to, to come to me, to rest in me. Lean on Christ. Learn from him. Allow him to carry your burdens and receive the yoke 
that is easy. His call is soft. Just come to me. How is it that you are going to respond today? Please pray with me. Father, I ask that we come. I thank you for making the way through your son and the cross. Thank you for removing the barrier, the hostility that my sin has presented us with. Thank you, Lord, for reconciling, making a way for reconciliation to redeem us as a people. Lord, we are sinners. We were enemies, but you made us sons and daughters. Lord, you gave us new life as you breathed your spirit into us. Father, help us to respond in faith. Help us to to, to live by faith. Help us to walk by faith, Lord. You have bought us with a price. You have given us this time on earth for your mission, for your purposes, for your good glory. And Lord, we recognize that we are commissioned and called to a purpose. Help us to be bold, Lord. Help us to not faint in the face of difficulty and suffering and frustration and worry and fear and doubt that this world tries to press in on us. Lord, give us a strength that can only come from your proclaimed word of truth. Only through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you and we trust in you. It's in your son's great name that we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.